Josh. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and so I'm wrapping up my first uh, month as the new lead pastor, which is incredibly exciting. And we are in the midst of just a new season here at our church, and so we've been walking through this series called Start. Um, as I've been getting started and as we're starting this new, uh, just what God has in store for us. And, and the way I want to set up today is, is something that, that I think all of us love, and that is to get an invitation to something. Uh, all of us enjoy, even, even those of us uh, like myself who are introverts, uh, we enjoy being wanted. When we get an invitation from somebody, uh, somebody really close to us, somebody that we have a relationship with, someone that we love, it, it, there's something in us that longs to be wanted by somebody else, to be told, I want you here. I want to have your presence at my party. I want to have your presence at my celebration. It, there's something that, that this longing that we have, and, and if we're honest, for many of us, some of our deepest regrets that we carry around are from the moments that we tried to fit in. The things that we did to get people to like us, the things that we did to get people to say, I love you, the things that we did to receive love from people because we want to be wanted. It's in all of us. If you're a student, as you get ready to go back to school this week, you're going to interact with new people, you're going to, and you're going to be tempted to maybe do something that you maybe don't want to do so that you'll fit into the crowd. Like, if you think back to when you were in elementary school, I remember at my elementary school, we would pick teams for, for sports. We'd pick teams for dodgeball and kickball and stuff. And um, I was never the last one picked, but I always felt bad for those last two guys. Right, those last two guys standing there, and you're just thinking, man, one, I'm standing there thinking, I'm glad I'm not those two guys. But I also felt bad that they were just standing there kind of just like kicking the rocks and, and, and they're both standing there going, man, don't make me be the last one. Don't make me be the last one because then what happens when they pick that second to last guy? The guy's like, well, I guess we'll get you. I guess you're on our team. Or the, the other guy would say, just take both of them. And so there is something in us that wants to be invited. And, and this may surprise you. But the Christian life following Jesus is a series of invitations. From Genesis to Revelation, the Christian life, God's interactions with us are a series of invitations. Now you might think, wait, I thought the Bible is just a list of rules. Most of us think of Christianity, most of us think of following Jesus as things that we should do, things that we shouldn't do. We think of these lists of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. But every single time that we encounter those lists, they are in the context of an invitation. When you think about the Ten Commandments and you think about thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal, they're in the context of God's invitation to the people of God. That he says before he gives them the Ten Commandments in Exodus, he says, I have brought you out of Egypt. I have set you free so that you can live. And then gives him the Ten Commandments. See, the Christian life following after Jesus at its heart is an invitation. Now, two weeks ago, if you were here with us, we looked at Mark chapter 1, and we looked at Jesus being in the wilderness. And what we saw was that the way God forms us, the way God changes us, the way God makes us into the people he wants us to be are in the difficult seasons of life. 
They're in the places where God feels silent, the place where God feels absent, the place where our prayers feel like they hit the ceiling and bounce back down at us. Those are the places that God forms us the most. But what we saw and what we're going to see this week is that the desert, the wilderness, the valleys that we walk through are always to lead us into a new place, a new season. And as Jesus comes out of the wilderness in Mark 1, he moves into this invitation of his disciples. And this is what it says uh, that Julia read just a few moments ago in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. It says, as he, speaking of Jesus, as he passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, so Jesus encounters these brothers. So I want you to picture this as they're, they're out fishing. He encounters these two sets of brothers and a dad out fishing. They're just doing their jobs. They're just doing their trade. I mean, just think about your job. You're, you're out doing your job every day, and Jesus comes across these fishermen and says, drop your nets, come and follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And so what Jesus says is, I want to take what you do, and I want to redirect it in a different way. Now, here's how this matters for us. One of the things that we struggle with is figuring out what God wants us to do in particular seasons or what God wants us to do in our lives. I remember doing student ministry for years, and one of the things I would always talk with students about is they would come and say, you know, I'm trying to figure out what major to have. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And, and maybe you're in a place as an adult where you're going, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm 50, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do in this season. I'm trying to figure out. And so there's this constant motion that we have of trying to figure out how do we parent in this season? How do we do our marriage in this season? How do I do my career in this season? What does God want me to do? And here's how we often think about it. We often think in this way. I, I remember students would say to me, Josh, I, I'll do anything God wants me to do, but I don't want to do this one thing over here. Like, Josh, I'll go anywhere. So if you'll pray that, Josh, I'll do anything, but I don't want to go to that place. Because what we think is we think the thing that God has for us, we think God's will for our life or God's calling for our life is going to make us miserable. So for example, if you're a person who's just not detailed, you're not a detailed person at all. In fact, your nightmare is Excel, anything with Excel. You probably think, well, you know what? If, if God's will for my life, if I really surrender everything over to God, he's going to make me work all by myself with Excel all day. What if God doesn't come to Simon and Andrew and say, hey, I want to take you, fishermen, and I want to make you accountants. He says, I want to make you fishers of men. He says, I want to take what you do. I want to take what you're good at. I want to take how my Father in heaven has wired you, and I want to redirect it. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that the invitation to follow Jesus redirects our purpose. It redirects our purpose. It changes how we do what we do. It doesn't necessarily change the lane that we're in. It just changes how we drive and interact in that lane. See, the invitation that we get to follow Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to take what you do, and I'm going to have you do the one thing that you have just been praying that I wouldn't have you do. 
Now, he will call us into places that make us uncomfortable. He will call us into things that we need to depend on him to do. But he doesn't say, hey, you're going to be the one that handles money. No, he has Matthew, who is an accountant. He comes to Matthew and says, come and follow me. And, and so what Jesus does is he goes to them and he says, come and follow me. Now, I want you to think about this. As I was reading through this passage, here's something maybe that struck you. Why did they just leave? I mean, Jesus comes and says, come and follow me, and they just, they just get up. I mean, what would make them just get out of the boat? And think for a moment, if you're, if you're a parent, what is Zebedee thinking at this moment? Like, so, so I have five kids, and this past week, my uncle came up from Pennsylvania, and we chopped down four trees. And it was amazing to watch my kids get out of the work. It was unbelievable. I, I mean, it was, you know, I, one of our kids, every, every time I turn around, he's like, I'm going to the bathroom. Another one was, I'm just really tired. It was amazing to watch this unfold. And so as I was thinking about this this week, I'm thinking, man, I know what Zebedee is thinking right now. He's thinking, get back in the boat. This is what we do. This is, this is our job. You're just going to leave me for Jesus with, with the hired men. See, but as we understand history, there's a little bit more going on underneath the surface of this passage. See, at this point in the life of Jesus, Jesus is becoming known as a traveling teacher, as becoming known as a rabbi. And in the first century, rabbis were often in one location, in one temple, in one town, in one synagogue, but there were also rabbis who traveled around. And the word rabbi means teacher. And in the first century, Jewish men would follow particular rabbis in the same way that we follow particular social media people, or the same way we follow a particular news program, or the same way we follow a podcaster. And yes, you and I are being discipled by the social media programs we follow and the news programs we follow. We, we are being discipled by those people, but that's a different sermon for another day. But different men and families would go to different rabbis' temples and synagogues and it wasn't just based on location, it was based often on their reputation and how they interpreted what we call the Old Testament. And so each rabbi was set apart by how they would say, this is how I interpret this passage, this is how I interpret this, this is what it means to follow God, this is what it means to interact with each other, to do conflict, to interact with the government. And each rabbi would have apprentices, or what we often call disciples, who would follow after them. Now, I really like the word apprentice. It's a little bit different, and we don't use it a lot. But the word apprentice carries this idea of to learn from someone. See, when someone would learn an apprentice under a rabbi, it, what they would do is they would actually try to do everything the way the rabbi did it. They would try to walk exactly like the rabbi. They would watch the way the rabbi would sit, and they would try to sit. There's even historical evidence that they would time how long a rabbi would sit in silence before answering a question so that they could be exactly like their rabbi. See, one pastor said that the whole point of apprenticeship, the whole point of discipleship, of following Jesus, is to model all of your life after Jesus. That the whole point of apprenticeship is to model all of your life after Jesus. And so when Jesus comes to these, to these guys, these fishermen, he says, come and apprentice under me. 
but it still doesn't tell us why they would get up and go. Why would they just leave? See, if we understand what happened 2,000 years ago in Jewish culture, here's what would happen. As young boys would come into the temple and synagogue, they would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. I want you to think about that for a moment. Memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Some of us struggle to memorize, like, our spouse's phone number right now. You can probably remember your phone number growing up, but you just can't memorize a new one. So they would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Those who excelled at that would continue on and memorize the entire Old Testament. Now, those who excelled at that point would be chosen by a rabbi to be their apprentice. This was a huge honor. Now, for these guys, for these teenagers, we know at this point that, that Andrew and Simon are older teenagers. For these guys to be fishing means that no one wanted them. This is the shame of the second to last guy in kickball. This is the one in the town where people walk around and they're like, man, look at those fishermen. It's too bad they didn't get picked. This is the shame that you and I feel if we're the one person in the family that shows up that everybody looks at at the family gathering. For the things we did, for the mistakes we made, for the regrets we carry, for the one. Do you, do you, remember, do you remember when she did that? Do you remember when he did that? This is the shame that they carried around. They weren't picked. They were passed over. And so what Jesus does is he's actually showing us something incredibly important about the kingdom of God. He's showing us that the people who get passed over are the ones he goes after. He's showing us that the ones who are the C student is also as welcome and can be used as much as the A plus AP student. And Jesus says, no, come and follow me. For these guys, this has been the thing they have been waiting for. They have just been waiting for someone to choose them. And in the same way, as they followed after Jesus, this, this is what they were invited into, what you and I are invited into. Jesus tells us in John 10 why he came, why he chooses people, why he invites people. He says, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, the reason that I came to earth is that they may have life and have it to the full, that they would be overflowing life. I love the message version. It says it like this. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. See, that more and better life, that phrase is so important. Here's why. Because more and better life is why we do everything we do. More and better life is why you buy things you can't afford. More and better life is why you work as much as you do. More and better life is why you spend as much time trying to fit in with people as you do. More and better life is why you spend as much time hiding from other people as you do. More and better life is why we do everything that we do. But here's one of the things that I've seen again and again and again, especially in men, is we'll just settle. See, when Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full, very few of us actually experience what Jesus is talking about. Here's what we'll say. Well, it's, I guess it's as good as it gets. I, I guess this is as good as my career gets. I guess this is as good as my marriage gets. I guess this is as good as it'll be going to school. It's not great. 
not as bad as that guy. I guess this is it. And we live with kind of this, eh, life. And Jesus says, I have come so that you may have more and better life. See, this full life, this eternal life, when we think of the word eternal life, when we hear that in Scripture, immediately, if you have a church background, you think of heaven. But when Jesus talks about eternal life, when Jesus talks about salvation, he's not just talking about heaven or hell or after you die. When Jesus talks about salvation, it's actually the exact same word in Greek as the word healing. And so when Jesus says, I have come that you may have eternal life, he's saying, I have come that you may be healed. I want you to think of the thing, the regret, the wound that would heal you if that would lead to more and better life. That thing that you did 20 years ago that you still carry, if that was healed, would that bring more and better life? That thing that you just do again and again and again and again and again and again and you just think, I just can't stop. If you were healed, would that bring more and better life? See, that's the promise that Jesus brings. That's the invitation that Jesus brings to them. And so in the first century, to apprentice under a rabbi means that we did what they did, that we do what they do, and and so it means to experience the life that Jesus has for us, to experience all that Jesus has for us. We have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Now, here's a simple way to to figure this out. Because you may think, well, how do I do that? How do I adopt the lifestyle of Jesus? I'm not Jesus. I I have a family. I have a job. I just can't travel around. You know, how do I adopt the lifestyle of Jesus? Here's a simple question. How would Jesus live if he were me? How would Jesus live if he were me? I want you to think tomorrow, you're going to go to work. Maybe you work from home. Maybe you're going to go to an office. And you get there, and it's a good day. You wake up. It's good weather. Hopefully, it'll be sunny. Chris promises me that it's sunny at least six out of the seven days of the week. It's going to be sunny. And you're feeling good. Football's just around the corner. Fall's coming. It's going to be a good week. And you open your email. And it's that, you know that email. That email that's not just going to ruin your day, but it's going to ruin your week. And you, you know that email well because you maybe got it on Friday too. How would Jesus respond to that email if he were you? Think about this past week. Or better yet, think about the drive to church today. How'd that go? Any fighting? Any stress? Arguing? Anybody threaten to pull the car over? Anybody speed on the way to church? You know, God doesn't like late people. How would Jesus do that if he were you? Students, as you start this new school year, how would Jesus start school if he were you? How would he parent if he were you? Would he parent the same way you do? Here's one. I've come to believe that the person we talk to the worst, the person we say the worst things to, are the people 
is the person that you looked at in the mirror this morning. You say the worst things to yourself. You say things to yourself that you wouldn't say to anybody else. You lay in bed at night and say things to yourself that, that you would never verbalize to somebody else. So let's ask this. If Jesus were you and looked in the mirror, how would he speak to you? Would he say to you what you say to you? Would he say those things? Would he berate you the way that you berate you? See, if you were here at the beginning of Mark 1, three weeks ago, when Jesus is baptized and we see what God the Father says, what does he say? He says, this is my son whom I love. This is my son whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. See, Jesus says, this is my son, this is my daughter, who I love. Would Jesus speak to you the way that you speak to you? See, being an apprentice of our rabbi Jesus means that we look at life and everything we do and say, if Jesus were me, how would he live? If Jesus were me, as I sit down and pull up social media, how would he respond? How would he share something? If Jesus were standing there and all the guys are joking at work, but there's that one guy who doesn't really fit in and he's kind of the, he's the one that everyone always kind of makes fun of, how would, how would Jesus stand in that circle? What would he do? When he sees the person sitting by themselves in the cafeteria at school, what would he do? How would Jesus enter into that room? You see, the thing is, is that oftentimes we think that if I do what Jesus does, this is what we think. Well, that just means I can't have any fun. I, I'm not going to be able to buy any of the stuff I want, Josh, thanks. But what we see throughout the Gospels is that Jesus loved celebrations. He was at the center of hundreds of parties. Jesus brought the best wine to the party. Jesus wasn't, you know, the, the prude that you don't want to invite, but he lived life to the full. And, and living life the way that Jesus would live life leads us to experience life to the full. And so as Jesus comes to these disciples and he says, come and follow me, here's the question for us as a church, for each of you and for me. What is God inviting us into in this next season? As Jesus comes to you and he says, come and follow me, what is he inviting you into? What new thing is he inviting you into? What new way of doing life is he inviting you into? What new story is he inviting you into living? See, Jesus doesn't say, hey, I want to invite you, and I know that you've been living in this lane. I know you enjoy it. I know you're wired to that. But you see, it's way over there. That's the thing I want to invite. No, he says, I want to invite you into this, and I want to redirect how you do it. And so as you think about the things you do every single day, the things that you're wired to do, the things you love to do, the things that bring you so much life, how does God want to redirect that for his glory and for your good? How does God want to use you?
How does he want to use you as a teacher, as an accountant, as somebody who, who just moves things? How does he want to use you? How does he want to redirect what you do? I want to ask you to pull out your Connect card, and, and we've been asking everybody each week to fill out a Connect card, whether you're here for the first time or the second time, or whether you've been here for several years now, we would love every week for you to fill out uh, one of the cards that's on your seat. And the reason is this. One, we, just wanna, we would love to know that you're here. One of our desires is to make sure that nobody in our church falls through the cracks. We just want to make sure that we're able to follow up with you, that we know who's a part of CCC, and we're able to help you take those next steps. Because one of the things that I believe is that every time we open up the Bible, God has a next step for us. Now, sometimes that next step is just a reminder. Sometimes we'll, we'll come to church and we'll open up the Bible or you open it up on your own and you're just reminded of something. You're reminded of something that you just needed to be reminded of. It's not something new. We just go, oh, you know what? I needed that reminder today. I needed to be reminded of that. Sometimes it is something new. Sometimes it's something that God's calling us into, that God's stretching us. And so every single week, we are striving to have a next step that's connected to the sermon. A way to say, we want to help you apply what we're doing. We don't just want you to sit here and be like, oh, that's a great idea. I'll ask this question maybe one time, like as I'm driving home today, what would Jesus, how would Jesus drive if he were me? But I'm going to totally forget about it on Monday. We don't want that to happen. And so every week you'll notice there's different next steps. One of them uh, is to begin a relationship with Jesus, to follow Jesus. And maybe for you, this is, you're stepping into what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe for you, it's serving on a team. We're rebuilding as we come out of COVID and, and what this next season looks like. And, and we're getting ready, as I mentioned two weeks ago, we're getting ready to launch Community Kids in both services on September 12th. And so maybe for you, it's serving on a team. But if you're in a place that says, I want to know what it looks like to experience more and better life, I want to know, how do I apply the question, how would Jesus live if he were me? Then I want to ask you to check the box calling. If you're with us online, you can get your Connect card in the top right corner, and there's a box there that's marked calling. If you check that, we're going to send you an email tomorrow that's going to help you as you just navigate this week and ask that simple question. How would Jesus live if he were me? How would Jesus parent? How would Jesus go to school? How would Jesus drive? How would Jesus interact with those around him if he were me? And I believe on the other side of that, we're going to begin to see what God is calling us and inviting us into as a church and individually. And so let's pray together and then we'll respond. So Father, I thank you that you have great and good plans for us. You have things that we have not even begun to pray for yet. There, there are things, there, there, are, there are dreams that you are, are giving to us, that you have placed in us that you are guiding us to. God, I pray even now that you would help us to start seeing how you want to redirect what we do. You would help us to start seeing how you want to take the gifts that we have, the talents we have, the ways that you've wired us, and how you want to use them in ways that might surprise us. And so God, I pray that as we walk into this new season as a church, as we walk into this new school year, God, help us to ask this question. How would Jesus live? How would Jesus do this if he were me? And I believe, God, on the other side of that, we are going to find the life that you have designed for us. In your name, amen.